Stamps.com, postage on demand. Print your own postage and shipping labels in seconds. Click instantly, buy, and calculate exact postage. Print, print postage labels, envelopes, or plain paper. Mail a fixed postage and mail anywhere you want in the world. Give stamps.com a try. Get $5 in free stoppage postage. Check offer details on stamps.com. Corporate postage solutions have more than two locations. The stamps.com enterprise is a postage solution for you. Shipping solutions. Process and print shipping labels fast. Enjoy sh- shipping discounts and more. Stamps.com versus postage meters. The choice is clear. Stamps.com offers more features at a fraction of the cost. Approved licensed vendor of USPS. Save big with discounted rates from USPS and UPS. Stamps.com is an independent vendor of the USPS and UPS. Here's how it works. Open Stamps.com account. Simply click the Get Started button to sign up for Stamps.com and get access to all the services of the post office right from your computer 24-7. Even get discounts you can't get at the post office. Try it out with $5 free postage. Stamps.com will give you four weeks to see if they are right for you. Stamps.com is so confident you'll like them. They'll also throw in $5 free postage to you during the four weeks. Don't pay unless you stay. Cancel your account online or call 1-855-608-2607 to cancel with in the four-week trial period and pay no service fee. The monthly fee is just $17.99 plus applicable taxes, if any, including the first month. Your service will continue interrupted as long as you do not cancel. Your 24-7 post office. Send invoices, letters, packages, print, official USPS postage, domestic or international. No more guesswork. How much postage, what mail class, steps.com will figure out it, figure it out for you. Eliminate trips to the post office. Anything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk, 24-7. Do more than a postage meter for less. Avoid hidden fees, equipment, insurance, and there's no extra hardware to buy or lease. Never pay full price for stamps again. Get postage discounts you can't even get at the post office. Customer support, always ready to help. Available by phone, email, or chat. Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Not just for small office mailings, multi-location solutions, shipping solutions, and warehouse solutions. ThriveMarket.com. Healthy living made easy. Guaranteed savings on your favorite organic brands delivered straight to your door. Healthy groceries shouldn't break the bank. Low price promise. Find a product cheaper elsewhere. Thrive Market will beat the price. Here's how it works. Build your order. Shop 6,000 plus wholesome products. Curated just for members. Never run out. Get recurring deliveries on a schedule personalized to you. You're in control. Easily add or remove items. Skip a delivery or pause anytime. Your new one-stop shop. From organic pantry staples to clean beauty to non-toxic home. Shop by over. 70 diets and values like gluten-free, ketogenic, organic, vegan, thoughtfully sourced seafood. Thrive Market is aligned closely with key industry watchdogs to identify partners who catch sustainable and traceable seafood. For $5 a month for a risk-free trial for 30 days. 
fast, free, carbon neutral shipping, free gifts and samples. Every membership gives to someone in need. Better for you and the planet. Ethical and sustainable sourcing. Carbon neutral shipping. Zero waste warehouses. Recyclable compostable packaging. Thrive also gives. Every annual membership sponsors a free one for a family in need. Thrive's mission is to help make organic foods more accessible. Good morning. Hope you're ready for U.S. President number 38, Gerald R. Ford, Part 3. Vietnam. One of Ford's greatest challenges was dealing with the continuing Vietnam War. American defense operations against North Vietnam had ended with the Paris Peace Accords signed on January 27, 1973. The Accords declared a ceasefire across both North and South Vietnam and required the release of American prisoners of war. The agreement guaranteed the territorial integrity of Vietnam and, like the Geneva Conference in 1954, called for national elections in the North and South. The Paris Peace Accord stipulated a 60-day period for the total withdrawal of U.S. forces. The accords have been negotiated by United States National Security Advisor Kissinger and North Vietnamese Politburo member Le Duc Do. South Vietnamese President Nguyen Nguyen Van Van Thieu was not involved in the final negotiations and publicly criticized the proposed agreement. However, anti-war pressures within the United States forced Nixon and Kissinger to pressure Thieu to sign the agreement and enable the withdrawal of American forces. In multiple letters to the South Vietnamese President, Nixon had promised that the United States would defend Thieu's government should the North Vietnamese violate the accords. In December 1974, months after Ford took office, North Vietnamese forces invaded the province of Phuoc Long. General Tran Van Tra sought to gauge any South Vietnamese or American response to the invasion as well as to solve, as to solve logistical issues before proceeding with the invasion. As North Vietnamese forces advanced, Ford requested Congress approve a $722 million aid package for South Vietnam, funds that had been promised by the Nixon administration. Congress voted against the proposal by a wide margin. Senator Jacob K. Javits offered large sums for mili- ev- evacuation, but not one nickel for military aid. President Theo resigned on April 21, 1975, publicly blaming the lack of support from the United States for the fall of his country. Two days later, on April 23rd, Ford gave a speech at Tulane University. In that speech, he announced that the Vietnam War was over, and as far as America is concerned, the announcement was met with thunderous applause. 1,373 U.S.s and 5,595 Vietnamese and third country nationals were evacuated from the South Vietnamese capital Saigon during Operation Frequent Wind. In that operation, military and Air America helicopters took evacuees to U.S. Navy ships offshore during an approximately 24-hour period on April 29, 30, 1975, immediately preceding the fall of Saigon. During the operation, so many South Vietnamese helicopters landed on the vessels taking the evacuees that some were pushed overboard to make room for more people. Other helicopters, having nowhere to land, were delivered crash landed into the sea after dropping off their passengers close to the ships, their pilots bailing out as the last one to be picked up by the rescue boats. Many of the Vietnamese evacuees were allowed to enter the United States under the Indochina Migration and Refugee Assistance Act, the 1975 Act, appropriated $455 million towards the cost of assisting the settlement of Indochinese refugees. In all, 130,000 Vietnamese refugees came to the United States in 1975. Thousands more escaped in the years that followed. East Timor, the poor former Portuguese colony of East Timor, declared its independence in 1975. Indonesian President Suhar II was a strong U.S. ally in Southeast Asia. In December 1975, Suhar II 
discuss the plans to invade East Timor during a meeting with Ford and Henry Kissinger in the Indonesian capital of Jakarta. Both Ford and Kissinger made it clear that U.S. would, would not object to the proposed Indonesian annexation of East Timor. According to Ben Kiernan, the invasion and occupation resulted in the deaths of nearly a quarter of the Timorese population from 1975 to 1981. Maya Guez and Panmunjom. North Vietnam victory was over the South-led to a considerable shift of the political winds in Asia, and Ford and Ford administration officials worried about a consequent loss of U.S. influence there. The administration proved it was willing to respond forcefully to challenges to its interests in the region on two occasions. Once, where Khmer Rouge forced forces were seized on an American ship in international waters, and again when American military officers were killed in the demilitarized zone (DMZ) between North and South Korea. The first crisis was the Maya. Guez incident in May 1975, shortly after the fall of Saigon and the Khmer Rouge conquest of Cambodia. Cambodians seized the American merchant ship Maya Guez in international waters. Ford dispatched Marines to rescue the crew, but the Marines landed on the wrong island and met unexpected stiff resistance, just as unknown to the U.S., the Maya Guez sailors were being released. In the operation, two military transport helicopters carrying the Marines for the assault operation were shot down and 41 U.S. soldiers were killed and 50 wounded while approximately 60 Khmer Rouge soldiers were killed. Despite the American losses, the operation was seen as a success in the United States and Ford enjoyed an 11-point boost in its approval rate in the aftermath. The Americans killed during the operation became the last to have their names described on the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Wall in Washington, D.C. Some historians have argued that the Ford administration felt the need to respond forcefully to the incident because it was construed as a Soviet plot, but work by Andrew Gothorp published in 2009, based on that analysis of the administration's internal discussions, shows that Ford's national security understood that the seizure of the vessel was a local and perhaps even excellent provocation by an immature Khmer government. Nevertheless, they felt the need to respond forcefully to discourage further provocations by other communist countries in Asia. The second crisis, known as the Axe Murder incident, occurred at Panmunjom, a village which stands in the DMZ between the two Koreas. Encouraged by U.S. difficulties in Vietnam, North Korea had been waging a campaign of diplomatic pressure and minor military harassment to try to convince the U.S. to withdraw from South Korea. Then in August 1976, North Korean forces killed two U.S. officers and injured South Korean guards who were engaged in trimming a tree in Pan Munjum's joint security area. The attack coincided with a meeting of the Conference of Non-Aligned Nations in Colombo, Sri Lanka, which, at which Kim Jong-il, the son of North Korean leader Kim Il-sung, presented the incident as an example of American aggression helping secure the passage of a motion calling for a U.S. withdrawal from the South. At administration meetings, Kissinger voiced the concern that the North would see the U.S. as the paper tigers of Saigon if they did not respond, and Ford agreed with that assessment after mulling various options of the Ford administration decided that it was not. It was necessary to respond with a major show of force. A large number of ground forces went to cut down the tree, while at the same time the Air Force was deployed, which included B-52 bomber flights or Pan Munjum. The North Korean government backed down and allowed the tree cutting to go ahead and later issued an unprecedented official apology. Assassination attempts. Ford was the target of two assassination attempts during his presidency in Sacramento, California on September 5, 1975. Lynette Squeaky from a follower of Charles Manson, pointed a Colt 45 caliber handgun at Ford and pulled the trigger at point blank range as she did Larry Buendorf, a secret service agent, grabbed the gun and from was taken to custody. She was later convicted of attempted assassination of the president and was sentenced to life in prison. She was appalled August 14, 2009 after serving 34 years.
In reaction to this, the Secret Service began keeping forward at a more secure distance from anonymous crowds, a strategy that may have saved his life 17 days later. As he left the St. Francis Hotel in downtown San Francisco, Sarah Jane Warren, standing in a crowd of other across the street, fired a 38 caliber revolver at him. A shot missed forward by a few feet before she fired a second round. Retired Marine Oliver Sipple grabbed at the gun and deflected her shot. The bullet struck a wall about six inches above and to the right of Ford's head, who then ricocheted and hit a taxi driver who was slightly wounded. Moore was later sentenced to life in prison. She was paroled on December 31st, 2007, after serving 32 years. Judicial Appointments Supreme Court. In 1975, Ford appointed John Paul Stevens as Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States to replace retired Justice William O. Douglas. Stevens had been a judge of the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, appointed by President Nixon. During his tenure as House Republican leader, Ford had led efforts to have Douglas impeached. After being confirmed, Stevens eventually disappointed some conservatives by siding with the court's liberal wing regarding the outcome of many key issues. Nevertheless, in 2005, Ford praised Stevens. He has served his nation well, Ford said of Stevens, with dignity, intellect, and without partisan political concerns. Other judicial appointments. Ford appointed 11 judges to the United States Court of Appeals and 50 judges to the United States District Courts. 1976 presidential election. Ford elected agreed to run for office in 1976, but first he had to encounter a challenge for the Republican Party nomination. Former Governor of California Ronald Reagan and the party conservative wing faulted Ford for failing to do more in South Vietnam for signing the Helsinki Accords and for negotiating to seize the Panama Canal. Negotiations for the canal continued under President Carter, who eventually signed the Torrijos Carter Treaty to Reagan launched his campaign in autumn 1975 and won numerous primaries, including North Carolina, Texas, Indiana, and California, but failed to get the majority of delegates. Reagan withdrew from the race at the Republican Convention in Kansas City, Missouri. The conservative insurgency did lead to Ford dropping the more liberal Vice President Nelson Rockefeller in favor of U.S. Senator Bob Dole of Kansas. In addition to the pardon dispute and lingering anti-Republican sentiment, Ford had to counter a plethora of negative media imagery. Chevy Chase did often did Pratt Falls on Saturday Night Live, imitating Ford, who had been seen stumbling onto on two occasions during his term. As Chase had commented, he even mentioned his own autobiography. It had, it had an effect over a period of time that affected the election to some degree. Ford's 1976 election campaign benefited from his being an incumbent president during several anniversary events held during the period leading up to the United States bicentennial, the Washington, D.C. fire display on the 4th of July was presided over by the president and televised nationally. On July 7, 1976, the president and first lady served as host of the White House state dinner for Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip of the United Kingdom, which was televised on the Public Broadcast Service Network. The 20th anniversary of the Battles of Lexington and Concord in Massachusetts gave Ford the opportunity to deliver a speech to 110,000 in Concord acknowledging the need for a strong national defense tempered with a plea for reconciliation, not recrimination, and reconstruction, not rancor between the United States and those who would pose threats to peace. Speaking in New Hampshire on the previous day, Ford condemned the growing trend toward big government bureaucracy and argued for a return to basic American virtues. Two men standing... Televised presidents debates were introduced for the first time since the 1960 election. As Ford, as such, Ford became the first incumbent president to participate in one. Carter later attributed his in the election to the debates, saying they gave the viewers reason to think that Jimmy Carter had something to offer. The turning point came in the second debate when Ford blundered by stating that there is no Soviet domination of Eastern Europe and there never will be under Ford administration. Ford also said that he did not believe that the polls 
considered themselves dominated by the Soviet Union. In an interview years later, Ford said he had intended to apply that the Soviets would never crush the spirits of Eastern Europeans seeking independence. However, the phrasing was so awkward that question of Max Frankel was visibly incredulous at the response. 1976 electoral vote results. In the end, Carter won the election, receiving 50.1% of the popular vote and 297 electoral votes compared with 48.0% and 240 electoral votes for Ford. Post-presidency, 1977-2006. Activity. The Nixon pardon controversy in Richard Society for successor Jimmy Carter opened his 1970 inaugural address by praising the outgoing president, saying, For myself and for our nation, I want to thank our predecessor for all he has done to heal our land. After leaving the White House of Ford's Boozy Denver, Ford's successor invested in oil with Marvin Davis, which led to provide an income for Ford's children. He continued to make appearances at events of historical and ceremonial significance to the nation, such as presidential inaugurals and memorial service. In January 1997, he became the president of Eisenhower Fellowships in Philadelphia, then served as the chairman of his board of trustees from 1980 to 1986. Later in 1977, he reluctantly agreed to be interviewed by James M. Naughton, a New York Times journalist who was given the assignment to write the former president's advance obituary an article that would be updated prior to his eventual publication. In 1979, Ford published his autobiography, A Time to Heal, Harper's Digest, Harper Reader's Digest, 454 pages, a review in Foreign Affairs described it as serene, unruffled, unpretentious like the author. This is the shortest and almost oldest of recent presidential memoirs, but there are no surprises to it, no deep probates of motives or events. There are no more than here than meets the eye. During the term of office of successor Jimmy Carter, Ford received monthly briefs for President Carter's senior staff on international domestic issues and was always invited to lunch at the White House whenever he was in Washington, D.C. The close friendship developed after Carter had left office with the analysts, with the catalyst being their trip together to the funeral of Anwar el Sadat in 1981. Until Ford's death, Carter and his wife Rosalind visited the Ford's home frequently. Ford and Carter served as honorary co chairs of the National. Commission on Federal Election Reform in 2001, and of the Community of Government Commission in 2002. Like Presidents Carter, George H.W. Bush, and Bill Clinton, Ford was an honorary co-chair of the Council for Excellence in Government, a group dedicated to excellence in government performance, which provides leadership training to federal employees. He also devoted much time to his love of golf, often playing both privately and in public events with comedian Bob Hope, a longtime friend. In 1970, he shot a hole in the hunt during a pro-am held in conjunction with the Danny Thomas Memphis classes at Colonial Country Club in Memphis, Tennessee. He hosts the Jerry Ford Interpretation of Yale, Colorado from 1977 to 1996. In 1997, Ford established the Gerald R. Ford Institute of Public Policy at Albion College in Albion, Michigan to give undergraduates training in public policy. In April 1981, he opened the Gerald R. Ford Library in Ann Arbor, Michigan on the north campus of alma mater, the University of Michigan, Followed in September by the Gerald R. Ford Museum in Grand Rapids. Ford considered to run for the Republican nomination in 1980, foregoing numerous opportunities to serve on corporate boards to keep his options open for a rematch with Carter. Ford set Carter's product of the SALT II negotiations and foreign policy in the Middle East and Africa. Many have argued that Ford also wanted to exercise his image as an accidental president and to win a term in his own right. Ford also believed the more conservative Ronald Reagan would be unable to defeat Carter and would hand the income to a second term. Ford was encouraged by his former Secretary of State, Kennedy Kissinger, as well as Jim Rose <coughs> of Ohio and Bill Clements of Texas to make the race. On March 15, 1980, Ford announced that he would forego a run for the Republican nomination, vowing to support the eventual nominee.
On July 16, 1980, day three of the 1980 Republican National Convention, Joe Fork consults with Bob Dole, Howard Baker, and Bill Brock before making it to ultimately decline the offer to serve as Ronald Reagan's running mate. After securing the Republican nomination in 1980, Ronald Reagan considered his former rival Ford as a potential vice president running mate, but negotiations between the Reagan and Ford camps of the Republican National Convention were unsuccessful. Ford conditioned his substance on Reagan's agreement to an unprecedented co-presidency, giving Ford the power to control key executive branch appointments such as Kissinger as Secretary of State and Alan Greenspan as Treasury Secretary. As a reduction in these terms, Reagan offered the vice president nomination instead to George H.W. Bush. Ford did appear in campaign in a campaign commercial for the Reagan-Bush ticket in which he declared that the country would be better served by a Reagan president rather than a continuation of a weak and politically expedient policy of Jimmy Carter. On October 8, 1984, Ford said former President Nixon's involvement in the general election potentially could negatively impact the Reagan campaign. I think it would have been much more helpful if Mr. Nixon had stayed into in the back of during this campaign. It would have been much more beneficial to Ronald Reagan. On October 3, 1984, class blamed Carter for the latter's charges of ineffectiveness on the part of the Federal Reserve Board due to his appointing of, his, of most of his members. President Carter, when the going gets tough, will do anything to save his own political skin. The latest action by the president is cowardly. Following the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan, Ford told reporters while appearing at a fundraiser with Thomas Keene that criminals who use firearms should get the death penalty in an event someone is injured with a weapon. In September 1984, advice Reagan, against the coming to Wall Street, demands to follow his own agenda for the economic policies of the U.S. during the appearance on Good Morning America. He shouldn't let the girls of Wall Street decide what the economic future of the country is going to be. They're, they are wrong, in my opinion. On October 20, 1981, Ford stated stopping the Reagan administration's Saudi arms package could have a large impact on to American relations in the Middle East during a news conference. On March 24, 1982, Ford offered an endorsement of President Reagan's economic policy while also stating the possibility of Reagan being met with a stalemate by Congress if not willing to compromise while in Washington. Ford founded the annual AEI World Forum in 1982 and joined the American Institute as a distinguished fellow. He was also awarded an honorary doctorate at Central Connecticut State University on March 23, 1988. During August 1980 fundraising reception, Ford staged an opposition to a constitutional amendment requiring the U.S. to have a balanced budget, citing a need to elect members of the House and Senate who will immediately, when Congress convenes, act more responsibly in fiscal matters. Ford was a participant in the 1980 midterm elections, traveling to Tennessee in October of that year to help Republican candidates in January 1984. A letter signed by Ford and Carter and urging world leaders to extend their failed effort to end world hunger as was released and sent to Secretary General of the United States, Javier Perez de Quellar. In 1987, Ford test- testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee in favor of District of Columbia District Circuit, George- Circuit Court Judge and former Solicitor General Robert Bork at the Bork presented by President Reagan to be an Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Bork's nomination was rejected by a vote of 58 to 42. In 1987, Ford's humor and the presidency of Book was humorous. Political Editors was published. By 1998, Ford was a member of the several corporate boards, including Commercial Credit, Nova Pharmaceutical, the Pullman Company, Tesoro Petroleum, and Tiger International, Inc. Ford also became an honorary director of Citigroup, a position he held until his death. In October 1990, Ford appeared in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania with Bob Hope, 
to commemorate the centennial anniversary of the birth of former President Dwight D. Eisenhower, where the two unveiled a plaque with the signatures of each living former president. In, in April 1991, Ford joined the former presidents Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, and Jimmy Carter in supporting the Brady Bill. Three years later, he wrote the U.S. House of Representatives, along with Carter and Reagan, in support of other assault weapons bans. At the 1992 Republican National Convention, Ford compared the election cycle to his 1976 loss to Carter, and there's attention to be paid to elected Republican Congress. If it's changed, you want on number third, my friends, to place the place to start is not at the White House, but in the United States Capitol. Congress, as every child, every school child knows, has the power of the purse. For nearly 40 years, the Democratic majorities have held the time-tested New Deal form of tax on tax, spend and spend, elect and elect. Two ministers are flanked by oh, two women in formal dress standing beside a large birthday cake to what, with lit candles and flowers. The cake is started with the text, Happy 90th Birthday, President Ford. In April 1997, Ford joined President Bill Clinton, former President Bush, and Nancy Reagan in signing the Summit Declaration of Commitment and advocating for participation of private citizens involving in solving domestic issues within the United States. On January 1998, during the in an interview at his Palm Springs home, Ford said the Republican Party's nominee in the 2000 presidential election would lose if the party turned ultra-conservative in their ideals. If we get way over on the hard night of political spectrum, we will not elect a public president. I worry about the party going down this ultimate conservative line. We ought to learn from the Democrats when they were running ultra-liberal candidates they didn't win. In the prelude to the impeachment of President Clinton, Ford conferred with former President Carter, and the two agreed not to not speak publicly on the controversy, a pact broken by Carter when answering a question from a student at Emory University. In October 2001, Ford broke with conservative members of the Republican Party by stating that gay and lesbian couples ought to be treated equally, period. He became the highest-ranking Republican to embrace full equality for gays and lesbians, stating his belief that there should be a federal amendment outlawing anti-gay job discrimination and expressing his hope that the Republican Party would reach out to gay and lesbian voters. He also was a member of the Republican Unity Coalition, which the New York Times described as a group of prominent Republicans, including former President Gerald R. Ford, dedicated to making sexual orientation a non-issue in the Republican Party. On November 22, 2004, the New York Republican Governor George Pataki named Ford and the other former, living former President Carter George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton as honorary members on the board rebuilding the World Trade Center. In a pre-recorded embargo re interview with Bob Woodard of the Washington Post in July, 4, July 2004, stated that he disagreed very strongly with the Bush administration's choice of Iraq's alleged weapons of mass destruction as justified for its decision to evade Iraq, calling it a big mistake unrelated to the national security of the United States and indicating that he would not have gone to war had he been president. The details of the interview were not released until after Ford's death as he requested. Stay tuned for part four of U.S. President number 38, Gerald R. Ford.